Hi, and welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, streaming live from Queens, New York. We're so excited you joined us today. No matter where in the world you are, we want you to know that you're family. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to The Journey. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor, and I'm honored and grateful that you are tuning in and listening wherever you're listening from. If you're in the New York City area or outside, we are grateful for you and thankful that you are a part of The Journey. Now, today is a special day, in fact, because uh, what you're hearing is a pre-recorded podcast or a pre-recorded message. And the reason why it's pre-recorded is because this Sunday was our first in-person service in over a year since the pandemic. And so that's been huge. We have gone 56 weeks since we last met together as a church. And so if you're listening to this and you're not able to attend that service, no worries. Uh, We encourage you to, to still be a part of our church. Our goal over the next few weeks and few months is to host an outdoor service about once a month throughout the uh, the spring and maybe the summer. And our goal is sometime between the summer and the fall, we'll be able to meet again weekly at our home at the UA Midway Theaters. Now, we're in the middle of a series called Escape Room. And our whole goal in this series is we want to look at some of the biggest things that we faced during this pandemic, some of the biggest areas that the devil has tried to get us down and to keep us from God's best and his blessing in our lives. We've talked about topics like doubt and how to deal with discouragement. And today what we're going to talk about is how do we deal and how do we recognize the devil's distractions? Now, before we get to that, let me just ask, how many of you listening have ever done a sport of some sort, whether it was in high school uh, or maybe it was college intramurals, uh, your dorm room or something like that against another dorm room. Uh, Maybe it was Little League Baseball or gymnastics when you were a kid. But, But how many of you, if you could think back, what was the first sport or the first team sport that you were ever a part of? Now, I'll never forget, in ninth grade, I made the big and bold decision to try out for the track team. Now, you might be listening wondering, Pastor Mike, why did you try out for the track team? And the reason is simple, because everybody made the team. (laughs) There were no cuts. And so as long as you had two legs and you could semi-run, even if it was ugly, even if it wasn't great or fast, you could still be a part of the track team. And so I decided to sign up for this because I thought it would make me cool. I thought I could get my varsity letters and look all cool and be one of those jocks and things like that. And when I got to meet the coach, he asked me, what do you run? I had no answer. I mean, I I didn't really run. I mean, the only time I really ran was to chase the ice cream truck when I was a kid. You know, that was about the only running I ever did. And so he asked, well, do you like to run long distances? like a mile, two mile run. My answer was no way. (laughs) Nope, I don't like long distance runs. Well, what about short distance runs like the 100 meters or 200 meters? And, you know, I wasn't that fast. And so I said, I'm not sure. So the coach decided to sign me up for the 800 meters. Now, 800 meters equals half a mile, which also in track and field equals two laps around the course. 
And so I'll never forget riding the bus to go to my first track meet and the coach passes that little sheet that says who is running what and what you're signed up for. And there it was in bold letters, Mike Cooper running the 800 meter race. Now, when I got to the start line, it was me and 13 other people. It was a track meet between three other schools. And I don't know what took over, but this little voice came inside of my head of, this is your first race. You need to dominate and you need to win this race. Whatever it takes, find a way to win the race. And so once they said, runners, get set, ready, set, Go And when the gun went off, I ran as fast as I possibly could. And so I'm running. I'm feeling great. At this point, out of 13 people, I am in second place. Now, second place is not first place, but the, the person who was in first place just set the school record in the 800 meters. So I knew I wasn't going to beat that guy, but as long as I'm behind him, that is pretty good. And so as I'm running that first lap, I'm feeling great. I'm in second place. I'm thinking, yeah, I am going to do as good as I can at this race. The coach could not believe it. And he said, Coop, keep it up. Coop, let's go. And when we got to that second lap, something else crossed my mind. Instead of, I'm going to win this race, my next thought was, I am going to die. (laughs) Now, coach had said, Coop, keep it up and keep running. And I looked at him and I put a motion of my hand on my throat signaling I was about to hurl because I overdid it. And so I went from that second lap, from being second place to third place to fifth place to eighth to finishing, you guessed it, dead last. And see, I learned a great principle in my first track meet, that it's not always how you start the race, it's how you finish. How you start the race matters, but everyone remembers how you finish. Now, maybe you look at your life and it feels like that for you this past year. You know, maybe when the pandemic first hit, and everything got out of whack while everyone was filled with fear and everyone was running around. What am I going to do? What is going to happen? I'm so afraid. I'm so terrified. What is the new reality? And maybe you were filled with faith at the beginning. You were like, man, I got this. God is with us. Heaven, my kids at home is going to be great. And now you've lost your faith. Maybe for you, you thought, man, homeschool, this is going to be awesome. Uh, We're going to have extended time with my kids. This is great. And Now, a year later, you're thinking, man, I'll do anything to get my kids out of the apartment. You know, maybe you lost your job and you thought, man, this is good. I needed to change anyway. But now, a year later, you're like, man, I'll take any job. Like, I'll work at Wendy's. I'll work at White Castle. I don't care. I need a job. Maybe for you, you were working too much, right? You needed more time for you and you thought this is going to be good. And now, work is even busier than before. What do you do? When you need that second wind, what do you do when you're losing hope and you find yourself struggling to finish the race? How do you find that burst or that encouragement to keep going when you feel like you're at the end of the rope? Now, often this is where some well-meaning people or even I would say well-meaning Christians come to us and they give us 
advice, but it's not helpful for that time or that season. Let me give you a few examples. Someone might come to you and they might say in the middle of your stress, in the middle of your anxiety, well, you know what? Whenever God closes a door, he opens a window. Now that sounds great, but what does that mean? I mean, if I live in a high rise, if God opens a window, that's like 12 stories down. That's not that helpful. I don't know about this. I've heard another phrase, right? People say this, well, God helps those who help themselves. Wait, what? No, no, I I need help. Like, how is that even helpful? I've heard another phrase, right? Don't worry, be happy. That's not God's word. That's Bob Marley, right? Or how about another one? This is a big one we throw out. God won't give you more than you can handle. God won't give you more than you can handle. Now, where does that come from? Well, that that phrase actually is a little bit of a distortion of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where it says that when we are tempted, God is faithful and that he will always give us a way out. Now, it doesn't say that God isn't going to give you more than you could handle. It says that God will always give you a way out. In fact, we see this in just about every character in the Bible, Abraham, Moses, Gideon, Paul, every single one of them faced way more than they could handle. But remember, God promises not that we're not going to get more than we could handle, but that God will provide a way out. And maybe you're in it right now. Maybe you're listening and you're saying, you know, pastor, that's me. I'm, I'm in the middle of a battle that I'm not sure if I'm going to win. I'm feeling depression. I'm feeling discouragement. I'm feeling doubt. What do I do? Well, my encouragement to you is don't lose hope. Don't lose your faith in God. Look to him and he will always give you a way out. In fact, let me give you this key thought that you'll see here in your notes. The key thought is that our greatest trials and temptations often come on the heels of our greatest victories. Our greatest trials and temptations often come from the heels of our greatest victories. Now, why do I say that? Well, because that's what Jesus faced. In fact, if we look at Jesus's life and Jesus's story, Jesus was being baptized in Matthew chapter three. And you see here that God opens the heavens and he speaks from aloud. I mean, a lot of us, we say, man, pastor, how do I hear God's voice? Well, at this moment in Matthew three, you actually would have been able to hear God's audible voice and God's audible voice. As Jesus was being baptized, he says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now that's powerful, but at this point in Matthew 3, Jesus hadn't done anything yet, right? He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't had any teachings. He just simply lived and stayed alive for 30 years. But still, God is pleased with him. That's an incredible victory. But the very next chapter, very next section, Matthew chapter 4, is temptation. And Jesus overcomes the temptation, but the powerful thing about this is that he gives you and I a model on what we are to do whenever we face temptation. Now, this is so important because you will never conquer that which you're not willing to confront. And you're never going to confront that which you cannot first identify. So in this model, 
what we're going to do is we're going to identify what are some of the lies, the temptations that the devil will distract us and put before us. We're going to identify them, we're going to confront them, and we're going to overcome as how Jesus did. So in your notes, let's look at this. What are these temptations? Well, the first temptation that the devil faced with Jesus, and this is a temptation that we deal with all the time, and it's this, I am what I do. The lie that I am what I do, right? In other words, performance. Now, we do this all the time, right? The first time we meet someone, someone will come to us and they'll often say the words, well, tell me about yourself. And almost always we respond with what? Well, I'm a pastor or I'm a plumber or I'm a financial advisor or I'm a banker or I'm a teacher, right? We often When someone asks us to tell us about ourselves, why is it that we always start with our job title? Well, I believe it's we often equate our worth, our significance based on the very things that we've accomplished. In fact, social media is a huge example of this, right? What we would do for a like or a follow, right? All the things that warp our minds. I remember when we first started offering these online services and they would have that little meter that would say how many people are watching. And I remember the first Sunday that we did that, the numbers looked pretty good. Then just out of nowhere, we lost like seven people and then it jumped back up and then we lost another 10. And I remember I was having panic attacks all the things that I was worrying about just to get people to watch. And we look at that in our world today. We crave 15 seconds of fame more than a lifetime of faithfulness. And see, if we're not careful, we can always let the enemy trap us with the lie that I am what I do. Look at how the devil tempts Jesus with this. In Matthew 4, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted, and he became very hungry. During that time, the devil came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now remember, at this point, Jesus had lived on earth for 30 years, and according to human standards, Jesus had done nothing. No miracles, no teachings, no healings. Think of all the opportunities that Jesus might have missed, right? If you are the son of God, and you could heal anybody at any moment, and you can hear any prayer and answer it, and then you don't, Kind of sounds strange, right? For those 30 years. And so the devil's trying to play into this. That's where he says these words. If you are the son of God, do something, right? You're hungry. Just tell these stones to become loaves of bread. And the devil's trying to tempt him. Just perform this one miracle. Now it sounds harmless, right? Just turning some stones into bread so he could be nourished. But the problem was if he turned the stones to bread, he would have exercised his powers apart from God. And so during this season, God was calling Jesus to wait and to be obedient. Now, maybe we've had the same pressures, right? Maybe you felt this past year, what have I contributed to the world? What have we done lately? Everyone else is thriving. You're just kind of 
stationary. You know, I remember even for me, when this pandemic first began, there were needs everywhere, right? There were people that were without jobs, people that were without food, people that were sick, people that needed counseling. And I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, feeling this overwhelming, daunting idea of like, man, we need to do something and we need to do more. But God was impressing in my heart to get healthy. He was pointing out some things in my own life that were unhealthy, areas of unimbalanced and unbalanced before God. And in those seasons, it might feel like we're not doing much, but when we wait on God, that's all that he asks of us. In fact, Jesus's response in your notes is he waited on God. What do we do when we face the temptation of performance? We wait on God and we look to him for his approval. Matthew 4 verse 4, it says, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to wait. And when we pray to God, sometimes God will say yes. Other times God will say no. But many times God often says, not yet. And I'm willing to bet if you were to go back and look at some of the greatest mistakes and some of the greatest sins or errors of judgment that you've made, I'm willing to bet that most of them go back to a failure of waiting on God. In fact, we see this in the Bible, right? Abraham couldn't wait for a son, so he decided to conceive a son with someone else, and that caused major problems. Moses, he couldn't wait on God, and so he performed a miracle on his own, and it caused him to miss out on the promised land. King Saul, he refused to wait to offer the sacrifices after a victory, and because he jumped the gun, so to speak, he lost the throne for his family. So why do we wait? Well, because God is refining us to be like him. He's teaching us the importance of depending on him. We are loved by God for who we are and not for what we do. Isaiah 40, verse 31, it says, But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So what do I do when I'm faced with the temptation, uh, the lie that I am what I do? Well, I wait on God and seek his approval. Temptation number two is I am what I have. I am what I have, or the, the word, possessions. Now, let's face it. Our culture measures success on what we own or what we don't own, right? How much money we have or don't have in our portfolios. The size of our apartment and all the renovations or the amenities that we have in our apartment. Or if we have a garage or a, a car with a garage, right? Or the latest Apple gadget or the latest game system. All these things, sometimes we tend to define success and value in those things. And we fall into this trap one way or another. In fact, sources say that marketers spend an average of $15 billion a year to kids, to millennials, to convince them that they need the newest clothes or toys or whatever item it is to be significant. In fact, even this year alone, a 30-second commercial at the Super Bowl cost a record $5.5 million. You see, when tempted... 
the devil will try to get Jesus and us to fall in the trap of possessions, that I am what I have. Look at Matthew 4, verses 5 through 6. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Now, why does Jesus be taken to the highest point? Well, it's to look at the whole city, right? To see the wealth, the homes, the value. And at this point, again, what does Jesus have? He has nothing, right? He's just a carpenter. He's got no family, no home, no significance, no possessions. And maybe you feel that way right now. You know, this pandemic, everybody has had some sort of mini life crisis. And I'm willing to bet that you've probably had one too, right? What am I doing with my life? What do I have to show? I've done nothing. I have nothing. But see, when faced with this, what do you do? Well, we respond the same way that Jesus responded. In fact, Jesus' response in your notes is he uses the word, right? He doesn't look at the world. He looks at God's word. Matthew 4 verse 7, it says, Jesus responded. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Now, what's amazing here is that the devil tempts Jesus three times. And all three times, Jesus defeats the temptation through the word of God. Now, why is that significant for you and for me? Well, because you're never going to overcome temptation if you're not in the word of God. Look at Psalm 119, verse 9. It says, how can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? Now, at the beginning of this pandemic, I got to admit, we all as a family were going crazy, especially our kids. No school, no structure, home all day. It was nuts. (laughs) And so we were trying to figure out, Danielle and I, like, what do we do? How do we get these kids, like, to get to some normalcy or to not be as crazy? And we found a reset button in the beginning. And it was simply this. It was starting our day in God's Word. And so we took time as a family. We put some music on, and everyone had to read their Bible for 15 minutes. And see, I want to encourage you to do the same. Maybe you find that this year's been nuts and you don't have any normalcy. Everything is just the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed, you feel like you're always on duty, on call for someone or something. But I encourage you, start your day with God's word for 15 to 30 minutes. Spend time meditating on his word and praying. If you don't know his word, you're going to allow the devil to define you. So you got to know what does God's word say about you. Because remember, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. You can't obey his word unless you know his word. Let's look at temptation number three that the devil puts toward him. And it's this, the lie that I am what others think of me. I am what others think of me. In other words, the word popularity. Now, a few years ago, I had a friend who worked with me. And occasionally he would write these inspirational posts on social media. And after he would post, he would always check his phone. Like literally, I'm not kidding. Like every 10 to 15 seconds after he posted. I mean, he wanted to know how many people liked 
or commented on what he said, right? And so I would literally catch him on the corner of my eye, like just open the phone, check, all right, put it away. Open the phone, check, all right, put it away. <laughs> and I remember this and I thought, man, this is so strange. It's, it's a little odd, but, but let's face it, we do the same, right? We work hard to post that perfect picture, that perfect post about how everything in life is great. And many times you find yourself looking at who likes the statuses or who comments below. And sometimes if you're like me, you also look at who doesn't comment. And then you start thinking bad thoughts about that person too. You know, I remember in high school, all the different phases and fads that I had. I remember I grew up and I had those big red bottle cap glasses. And then I also had in the 90s, you were cool if you had the mushroom haircut. Then there was this weird phase where I wanted to be like a skater boy. And so I wore these Jinko jeans. And if you don't know what Jinko jeans are, good for you. But I remember I spent a lot of time, a lot of money on just one pair of Jinko jeans. Then I went to new school. And everybody wasn't skater boys, but they were preppy. And so then I had to wear preppy clothes. And I remember all these years chasing friends and acceptance. Now, it's amazing to me that that was high school, but we still do the same today. And see, the devil understands this, and he's trying to get Jesus to fall into the same trap. Look at Matthew 4, verses 8 through 9. It says, next, the devil took him to the peak of a very mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Now, what in the world is going on here? Well, we read this passage at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right? But what was Jesus' final act of ministry? Well, it was the cross and the resurrection, right? We, We just celebrated Easter just a few weeks ago. And so Satan is telling Jesus that he could avoid the cross. He could avoid all that suffering if he would just bow down and worship him. But see, Jesus knew there are no shortcuts to the will of God. If we want to share in God's glory, that also means sharing in the sufferings, even if we make unpopular decisions. And so Jesus ends all of this, all the temptations, not just with waiting on God, not just with the word of God, but he ends it here in your notes with worship. What is Jesus' response? It is worship. Look at what he says, Matthew 4, 10 and 11. It says, get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. Now, let's face it, maybe during this pandemic, there's been lots of fear moments for you, right? For me, it's been what happens to the church, right? Maybe for you, it's what happens to my kids in school. Maybe for you in the beginning, it was, oh my gosh, we're going to run out of toilet paper. What am I going to do, right? Maybe now it's, how am I going to handle this economy? Or what is my new job going to be like? Or what is reality going to be like? You see, there's a million things to worry about, but there's only one way to extinguish worry, and it's worship. Because worship magnifies the thing that we focus on. If we focus on our fears, it'll grow. If we focus on our God, our faith will grow. 
It's see, to defeat the temptations that the devil will throw at you, the key is to worship. Hebrews 12, verse 28, it says it like this. It says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. You see, our faith is not about our disciplined pursuit about God, but it's about God's pursuit of you and me. God's love for us was so great that he died on the cross so that we might know him personally. But the story doesn't end with the cross. The story ends with the resurrection. And it proves to us that this pandemic does not have the final say. God does. Your worries, your fears, the temptations that the devil throws at you does not have to overcome you and overwhelm your life. You can live in the victory that comes through Jesus Christ. How do you overcome? You wait on God, you seek his word, and you worship. Let's take a moment, let's pray. God, we thank you for this time where we've been able to look to your word. And God, we're thankful that Jesus is our model and our example in how to overcome temptation. Through Jesus, we can realize that, yes, we all face temptation, but in Christ, we can overcome. And so whenever we face moments of fear, whenever we face moments when we look to others or things to define our worth and our value, help us to look past that and to see how much you value us that your love for us was so great that you gave up your son on the cross for us and for our sake, Jesus. Help us to live in victory today. We're going to cast aside fear. We're going to overcome the temptations. And in Jesus' name, we claim and we rise up in victory. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.